to share with you this, this story this morning because somebody once said, a man that stands for nothing will fall for everything. A man that stands for nothing will fall for everything. And I, I watched society being eroded. Well, let me not society, let me say this. I've been watching the, 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 the church slowly but surely being eroded by society. And it's not the society's fault, believe me, it's the church's fault. I want you to hear, this, hear my heart this morning, what I want to share with you. Because I think somewhere along the line, we're starting to compromise a little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit each and every year. I, I remember being on Uncle Lars' farm as a kid. And one of the major problems that he had was erosion. And so what would happen, every time it would rain, a little bit of the soil would wash away and wash away and wash away and wash away. Eventually, you know, there was these huge ravines that were forming because, you know, the rain slowly over the years, you know, eroded the soil and eroded the, the dam walls and all these kinds of things away. And as I sat this week and prepared my message, I realized how society has really eroded completely over the last few years. Now, those of you that my age, 37, you will know that. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Jim. But remember the good old days. And we always say the good old days. You know, but I don't believe God's got better days here. But remember the good old days. The good old days, the youngsters all so experienced in the like, Oh, what's he going to say now? But in the good old days, let me tell you something. We prayed whenever we had a meal. In the good old days, family only had a meal around the table. We never sat in front of the TV and had a meal. Family time was dinner time. Dinner time was when Dad prayed for the family, not just, Lord, thank you for the food, and that kind of stuff, but Dad prayed for the family. When we had dinner time, Dad read the Word. And Dad would read the Word, and then Dad would pray for the family. And that would be our family time. There was nothing of TV or some kids sitting on a little iPad watching, I don't know what any kids watch these days. But that is how we grew up. We grew up that there was no sport on Sundays. The shops were not even open on Sundays. Only the little corner cafe was open on Sunday. The Sunday was considered a holy day. It was considered a day that the family would speak together. There was no sport. There was no TV program, no TV game on. There were no hypermarkets open. No shopping centers open. Just the down the corner, bread and milk, that's what we had. And Sunday was the day that we speak to the family. It wasn't the day where kids we'd go play in the streets and go, okay, go, but it's not that. Sunday was family day. We, our parents, we got there to die on a Sunday. And so Sunday we would go and we would spend time with the family. Sunday afternoon we'd do our homework, we'd get ready for, for Monday. It was a special day. I don't know if you guys remember that shops used to close at 1 o'clock on a Saturday. That's how it was. And I know that it was a good old day, but in the good old days, when we got to church at 8 o'clock, or when we got to school at 8 o'clock every morning, the day was open in prayer. When we were at school, we actually had a subject called religious studies, yes. where we studied the Word of God. When we were young in our, in our good old days, let me tell you something, that we had this respect for our elders like nothing else. There was no way that I would back check my dad or my mom. There was no way that I would dishonor any person that was older than me. And any person that was older than me was Kumantani. It wasn't, hey, you could. Pastor was called pastor. The person, the doctor was called doctor, not Brian. There was an honor in family. That when dad said, you jump, you didn't ask him twice. Yes. 
you dare only spoke once in the good old days. In the good old days, mom ran the house. And there wasn't a thing called Uber. And there wasn't a little takeaway. Because the only takeaway had was a little creek around the corner. And he would make hot dogs and hamburgers. That was it. That was the good old days. The good old days where certain stuff was so illegal that if it happened in your life, you almost passed out. Divorce was never heard of. Divorce was a subject that, that almost was a taboo in church life. It was never mentioned. We would never go down that way. We never heard of a man having affairs or a woman having affairs. Why? Because they were committed to be loyal to their husbands. You've got to look at that generation. That generation will be married for 40, 50, 60 years. Did our generation we met better than make five? And I'm telling you this not because I'm going to reminisce on, on, on what things are like, but I want to explain to you that you need to take note of something that our government, our parliament, started every single session in prayer. We have religious leaders that had a say in our government. We have religious leaders that were able to help make decisions. In actual fact, we had pictures of our King Jesus Christ in Parliament. Slowly but surely, and I haven't, I'm not that old, but slowly but surely over the last couple of 20 odd years, I've watched how slowly but surely our rights and what we believe in has been taken away from us. Abortion was equivalent to murder. It was something that wasn't done. That if you got pregnant at 16, or you got pregnant at 15, or you got pregnant at 17, tough luck. You make a bed, you sleep, and you can bring that kid up. That's how society was. But slowly but surely, society started to erode in on the Christian principles. And slowly but surely, it was no longer the churches that were running the hospitals. The churches were no longer involved in the orphanages and running and feeding them. The churches were no longer involved in taking care of the widows and the orphans. Because slowly but surely, the church started to step back and we allowed certain things to take place. And we allowed them to take prayer out of our schools. They allowed them to take religious studies out of schools. Divorce, you can get married, you can get divorced these days in probably 25 seconds and it'll probably cost you 250 rand. We've got more abortions happening worldwide today than people actually die of natural causes. There is no more prayer in government. There's no more praying schools. Sundays, most schools do sports on Sundays. We've had how many fathers and mothers that cannot get church because they've got to take their kids to Walter Polo, they can take their kids to this, or they can take their kids to that. And somewhere along the line, I had to ask myself and say, listen here, you know, we all be in this thing. A friend of mine, a very dear pastor friend, always constantly reminds me of this thing, and he says that what you compromise on today, you'll pay for tomorrow. Whatever you compromise on today, you'll pay for tomorrow. And I'm going to say this to the church that all the compromising that we've done over the last 20 years is going to come back and bite us. Because church has become more, no more than a social club. I remember, and I'm thankful for this, but when you went to church on a Sunday, you wore your Sunday best. I mean, I would have died in a suit personally. But that wasn't, it wasn't the thing of you had to wear a suit. It was you wore your Sunday best. Why? That's what it was about. I remember dealing with a moral issue a few years ago. And it was a very sensitive issue in church life. And I remember I had to make a call, not according to 
to what they felt and was according to what um, the, the, the church was feeling the moment. I can make a decision according to what the Word of God says. And it wasn't a popular decision. And I remember being told this by somebody that says, you cannot believe, I cannot believe that you're still serving that archaic belief system. When the world sees what we do as archaic, when the world sees that what we do in the Word of God and they don't agree to it, what happens? Is that all of a sudden your very moral compass is being eroded. That you no longer stand for what you believe in. Why? Because there's a thing called peer pressure. There's a thing called peer pressure in church life. There's a thing called peer pressure in society these days. There's a thing called peer pressure in your workplace. There's a thing called peer pressure in your relationships right now. And you and I don't get it, but you and I are compromising more today than we've ever compromised in our life. Why? Because we've got this thing that we just want people to like us. And we just want to say the right things. And we don't want to go to the Word of God and see what the Word of God says about a situation because we just feel pressurized. And even as pastors at times, we get so pressurized that we make decisions that aren't aligned with the Word of God. In our families, we allow certain stuff to happen. Why? Well, because everyone else is doing it. I remember, I remember displaying my son once and he was saying to me, I don't understand. So-and-so's dad lets him do it. And so we've got to stand on this thing and go, no, wait a minute. Things are not right. Now you're going to understand, I'm going to speak to you today about three young men in the Bible that, that had to stand their ground. Actually, four young men. And I'm going to read out Daniel 1. And Daniel 1 starts off the story where King Nebuchadnezzar has taken Jerusalem captive. Alright? So this power of Babylon has come over, taken him captive. And what happens is that King Nebuchadnezzar decides that he's because of the, the good looking young men that are there and the women and the intelligence that they have that he took a whole lot of them captive. And so the weaker in chapter 1, and let me just read for you, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehovah, king of Judea, Judea, sorry. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged him. And the Lord gave Jerichim, king of Judea, into the hands with some of the articles of the house of God, which were carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of, God, of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasury house of his God, speaking about Nebuchadnezzar. Then, king, then the king instructed Asaphonah, the, the, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles and young men whom there was no blemish but good looking, gifted in all wisdom, processing knowledge, quick to understand and had the ability to serve king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the chandeliers. And the king appointed for them daily provisions of the king delicacy and wine which they drank and the three years of training for them so that at the end of the time they might serve before the king. So you can understand something. The king Nebuchadnezzar found these four young men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And so he does. And he said, well, I want to train you. So what he did was said, I want to take the Christian belief, the Jewish belief that is in you and I need to change it because I don't want you to think like a Jew anymore. I now need you to think like a Babylonian. And so what he does is over a three-year period, what he does is he actually starts to brainwash them. And he starts to teach them his belief system. He starts to teach them what they stand for. He starts to tell them exactly what they need to eat. 
and how they need to worship and what they need to do. And interesting concept is the first thing that he does is he actually changes their names. So the word of God says that he changes every one of their names. And of the name of Belzebub. Now the name Daniel meant God is my judge. That's what the original name means. God is my judge. Belzebub, the name that he gave him, simply means to serve the king. How can you that? That his first name meant something. His first name meant something. It meant that, you know what, I am the only judge that I'm going to judge by is God. And he changed his name. Why? Because whatever we speak comes to being. The word of God says power is in the tongue. Life and death is in the tongue. And so as we constantly speak, you will serve the king, you will serve the king, you will serve the king, you will serve the king. What happens? That slowly but surely we start to get brainwashed. You're religious. You're religious. You're religious. You're religious. That's what the world says to us. You're religious. You're religious. How can you believe in those archaic belief systems? How can you read a word that is 6,000 years old? We've got thousands and millions of scientists out there trying to prove the Bible. And the tough bodies, they always need to prove themselves. I saw an article the other day that the guy said, well, you know something? This is what happened in Moses when he took the children out of Israel, actually didn't cross the Red Sea because it's impossible. He actually turned left and just went over the Jordan. But it's great because satellite imagery a couple of years ago actually found the path that Moses followed. But it sounds stupid because the world wants us to sound like we're stupid. The world wants us to start to doubt who we are. You see, it carries on and, and it changes the name. Listen to this. And so when Hannah, the one, he changed his name to Shadrach, which basically means the commander of Ahab, which was a Samarian god. His original name meant Yah has been gracious. God has been gracious. When his mother named his mother said, God has been gracious to me, and that will be your name. Azar is meant that Yahweh, God, has helped us. And his name all of a sudden gets changed to servant of Nego, another God. It's amazing how and changing our name can change who we are and our personality. But slowly but surely we know the story where he tried to erode the very belief system. And the first guy that gets in trouble we know is Daniel. And so Daniel gives, doesn't give up on his belief and every morning he opens his windows and every morning he faces the east as the Jewish people would do and every morning he would pray. And the more he prayed, the more the people became upset with him. Why? Because he was doing something contrary to what the king believed. And so the king then takes him and puts him in a lion's den. You know the story. And the mouth of the lion is shut. And he walks out and the king goes, wow, this God that you serve is awesome. This God that you serve is absolutely amazing. But then here comes another time with King Nebuchadnezzar, and you can pick it up in chapter 3, when Nebuchadnezzar decides that he's going to build this most amazing statue. And the word says, okay, let me read it, read it, let me read it from chapter 3, from verse um, Okay, let's verse number one. So Nebuchadnezzar king made an image of God, of a god of gold, whose height was sixty cubits uh, in height and was six cubits wide. He set it up in the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar said, Word to gather together the satraps, 
the administrators, the governors, the councillors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the education of the image which Nebuchadnezzar set up. And verse 4 says, Then he heralded the cried out loud to you, it is commanded, O people, nation, and language, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lute, the psalmetry, in the symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship a golden image that can never get as I set up. And whosoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lute, the symphony, with all kinds of music, all the people in the nation fell down and worshipped the golden image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. We very much, we very much in that season in our lives in church life right now. Because let me tell you something, that the world is but setting up an image that they need you and I to worship. Some people call it the New World Order, some people will call it the United Nations, some people will say it's this church and it's that church. But it's not about who that person is. The problem is that what's happening right now is that the world is in a place where they want to completely erode and take away and cause to compromise on what we believe and what we stand for. That the minute you stand up against certain stuff in church and all of a sudden you do this and you that, all of a sudden your church will be closed down because they're standing on the word of God. There's Israel Falau that made a statement. And the Australian rugby ball kicked him out because of his belief system. Amen. And let me say this to you today, church. The things are not going to get easier for you and me. Things are not going to get easier for the church. Already in our country, they're trying to pass a bill that will limit us from even streaming life, from producing everything. They're speaking about having something where we need to have a broadcasting license to be able to proclaim the word of God even over the internet and over camera and over Facebook. The church has been shut down. Think about it. Yeah, we sit. 50 people in the building. The casinos are full. The restaurants are full. The shabins are full. The rugby players can even have full contact sport. 30 people mauling each other over a rugby ball on the field is allowed. But we are sitting 1.5 meters apart. Your moral fiber is being eroded. That when you punish your child these days, kids are now with the right to make a civil or criminal case against you and you give them a hiding. Because now consider the salt. And we want to know what the world looks like it does. Because the church has gone quiet. The church has gone quiet. And you know what happens is that all these people bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's little idol. And the first people they pick on out of all the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are bowing down to this idol, they pick on three little Jew boys. That are just saying, you know what? <laughs> we don't we don't want to do this. No, we don't feel like we do that. And so they go and blip on him and they go and tickle tail, they can never get it. You got the three boys. Let's pick it up verse 12. He says, the Jews whom you have set over affairs of provinces. You can understand something. They had such incredible favor that they were in charge. 
And the first challenge we know they take it is what? The Nebuchadnezzar wants them to eat a certain kind of food. And they say, no, we're not going to eat your food. We're not going to drink your wine. Give us vegetables and water. And the word of God said they look better than what others did 10 days later. And then Daniel refuses to pray for him. He's tucked with the lions then, and nothing happens, and he walks out. And then all of a sudden, you have three guys that you put over Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three men. And they say, oh, king, have not paid due regards to you. They do not serve your God or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave a command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they were brought before the king. And he carries on at the end of verse 15, he says, But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning furnace. Who is this God who will deliver you from the hands? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer this matter. If in, but if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning furnace. And if he will deliver us from your hands, O king, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your God, nor will we worship the image which you have set up. And this young man turned around and said, You don't understand? We've got nothing to lose. Because if my God does not save me from the furnace, then my life will be wasted because I can't see myself living without him in any case. But I believe that he's the God of the impossible. And I believe that if you put us in the furnace, that we will come out. And I want to say to you right now, church, you're standing at that place in your life where the furnace is in front of you. And you've been asked to compromise a lot of things. You don't have to compromise with certain laws. You know, abortion clinics all of a sudden legal and you said not a word. Prayers being kicked out of schools and not a word has been said. Everything has changed. Everything has changed. And somehow we kept quiet. Somehow, slowly but surely, our very moral compass is being eroded. Slowly but surely, one by one, we're just going to bow down and bow down and bow down and bow down to every rule, every regulation. And I can say this, oh, you know, but yes, we didn't obey the laws of the, the land. Yes, we do obey the laws of the land. But we don't have to agree with their decisions. Because God is still God and He's still King and He's still on the throne. Otherwise, you and I will not be in church today. That this building cannot be closed down, and they will. They will try to close it down. And what will the church do? Will we be silent? You see? And there's a lot out there that's been distracted. And a lot of people think that what they're doing is just innocent fun at the moment. Oh, well, you know, well, we stand for this movement, and we stand for that movement. Let me tell you something. The only person you need to stand for is Jesus Christ. You know why? Because the word says a very simple thing. And listen to me, every one of you today, the word of God said there's one thing that will happen at the end of time. You see, the word says this, that Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he spoke and commanded that they hit this furnace seven times hotter than it usually is. Now, now I want you to listen to what I'm saying to you this morning. Because I believe that this is a prophetic picture of where the church is right now. Think about this. Think about this. That we got saved. And all of a sudden the rules of, of what we believe in is being changed slowly but surely. 
All of a sudden, they've got this huge name for us. That if we disagree with something according to the word of God, there's a name for it. I'm not even going to go down that road. Suddenly but surely our prayer lives have been changed. Suddenly but surely we'd have to do certain stuff here, but not there. And everything is changing. And let me tell you something that you and I think, oh well, this is a COVID thing, or this is this is not a COVID thing. Let me tell you something. The devil is busy turning up the fire right now. The devil is turning up the fire right now. And there's coming a time, there's coming a day where you're gonna to have to bow or walk in. There's coming a day that you're going to have to stand up for what you believe in. There's going to come a day where this word is the only word that needs to matter in your life. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Whether you believe or whether you don't. Whether you're Jew or a Gentile, whether you're a Muslim or a Christian. Let me tell you something. The word of God says that every knee is going to bow. Get used to it. Start practicing your knee. It turns that thing up seven times higher. The word says, And he commanded the mighty men of valor who were in the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning furnace. And then his men bound, his, they bound their coats, their trousers, their turbans, the, and the other garments, and they were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because of the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceeded exceedingly hot, the flames of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace. I, I love that because I think that's just God. You know, I, I just think that the condition was like, cool, but make it hot. God says, y'all make it hot. Let me show you what burning people look like. Let me, let me show you what they look like. I'll give you a precursor to what burning people look like. <coughs> Verse 23 says, and, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell, fell down, bound in the midst of the burning fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to the counselors, Did we not cast three men down in the midst of the fire? And the answer said, Yes, King, to O King. Look, he answered, I see four men loosely, loosely walking in the midst of the fire, and they were not hurt, and the form of the fourth one is like the Son of God. Amen. How does David even know that? How does he even know? How can he even say that? He's like the Son of God. Must I tell you why he knows what he says? Because inside every single one of us, doesn't matter who you are and what you are, you know that there's a God. Whether you believe in the Big Bang Theory or whatever theory it is, inside you there's a moral compass that shows you what is right and what is wrong and it's called the Holy Spirit. And Nebuchadnezzar looks at the chaos that is happening and he says, guys, what's going on? We put in three, we bound them, we threw them in, they walking around, the thing that was not of them, the ropes and that were destroyed. And there's a fourth guy inside them. And he looks like the Son of Man. Let me tell you something, it doesn't matter what you and I are going to go through. God's always going to be there for us. You see, sometimes, sometimes we need God just to strengthen us to have the ability to stand. Sometimes we need to trust Him enough that it doesn't matter what the furnace looks like, we're going to be okay. You might lose your job. 
It's going to be okay. Because God is with you. You might lose your house, it's going to be okay. Because God is with you. But you've only got two choices. It's either God's way or the world's way. He chose him left in desert, calls his men out. I love the part where it says this. He says, and the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the kings, the counselors gathered together. And they saw these men and whose bodies, the fire had no power. The hair on their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected. This is my best part. And the smell of smoke was not even on them. It doesn't matter what we're going to face, we're going to be okay. It doesn't matter what we, what we go through, we're going to be okay. But what we gain through is this, and one thing we've got to learn from the story is to learn to stand. And having done all, stand. Because right there, Nebuchadnezzar declares, and he says, Bless the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who was sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies, and they shall not serve nor worship any God except their own. You see, when they stood up, he started to declare something that the entire nation is going to be changed. Why? Because now all of a sudden, they're going to worship the God of these three gods that stood up. So I'm going to say something to you. You don't know the effect that you have on people by your boldness. You don't know the effect you have on people when you walk with courage. You don't know the effect on people when you stand for what you believe in. Because let me tell you something. There's a world out there that's looking for brave men and women that are wanting to stand. Men and women that the yes is yes and the no is no. What you compromise on today, you are going to pay for tomorrow. Well, the guy sitting there, it's true. Remember when we used to play rugby? We were tough as nails, remember? Waking up Sunday morning, we had grass burns on us, our knees were wonky, our ankles were all swollen, our necks were stiff. And next week we just got back at it. And I remember my dad, my mom used to say, Ooh, you're going to feel this in your old age. <laughs> I've got more pain now from rugby injuries at 50 than I had when I was 14. Yes. <laughs> what you compromise on today, you're going to pay for tomorrow. Listen to me. Something might be a little compromise for you in your life right now, but down the road it's going to be a massive compromise. And I want to end with this. That is no longer time for you and I to compromise on what we believe and what we stand for. This book is not a cake word. It's living, active word of God. When it says that miracles still happen, guess what? Miracles still happen. We see them. When the word of God said that he's the God of the impossible, guess what? He's the God of the impossible. When he says that he'll never leave you and will never forsake you, guess what? He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. You see, don't let the world change your name. Don't let the world change what you believe. It doesn't matter what it looks like going forward. Know this. It is someone that is going to walk with you. And you know what the very foolish part about the whole story is? That when we get to the other side and we go to, not even in a small smoke. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Just I thank you that as a church we can stand and have you done this thing.
And I want to pray for the Church of Jesus Christ today. I want to pray for every believer today. That you give us such boldness to stand and having done all, stand. And Father, may we have the courage not to bow down to the things of this world. May we come to a place where we don't want to compromise on what your word says anymore. And it doesn't matter if the world thinks that we've got an okay belief system or that half the Bible is false. It's not about that. It's about the fact that you're the God that moves and you're the God that is alive and you're the God that manifests yourself in our lives each and every day. Because every morning I wake up, it's your breath in my lungs. That every morning I wake up and I see with my eyes a blessing because you allow me to see what I need to see. And all the things that we compromise on with the supper, with the dinner, and with our fathers, and boys time, and all these things. Whether they were right or wrong, they brought something into our lives that changed us forever. As our prayer is for the God that you would come this morning. I pray that you pour out your richest blessing upon us. I pray that we would be as bold as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as bold as Daniel. It doesn't matter if we face the lion or we face the furnace, Father. We know that you're going to be there in the midst of it. And you're going to be with us. And church, whatever it is you're facing right now, it might feel like death for you. It might feel like there's no hope. But those three boys, they didn't know, they said, you know something? If we die, we die. But I'll tell you something, if we come out of this furnace, you will not doubt the God of gods and the King of kings. You will not doubt our God. And I want to stand to you, say to you today, stand. Stand your ground. Stand for what you believe in. Stand for the calling of God upon your life. Because there's a nation that is watching you. Your staff are watching you. Your friends are watching you. And they're looking for a Daniel. They want a Daniel because they've all compromised and they've all fallen short. And all they're looking for is a Daniel that can walk into a lion's den and pat them on the head. Say, good boy, nice kitty. Why? Because not of who he is, but the size of his God. That even though we face a furnace, it's not about how hot the furnace is. It's about how big our God is. And so come Holy Spirit of God in the name of Jesus. And right now I pray that you pour out a fresh anointing upon your church. A fresh anointing upon your people. Lord, that you revive to us as restore to us the joy of our salvation. That our calling and our hope and the future and the plan that we have for you will be awakened in us. You said to Joshua, have I not commanded you to be bold of good courage? We want a church that is bold and of good courage. Fear not. And so whatever we are going to face this week, may we face it with boldness, may we face it with courage, may we face it knowing that our King is with us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Don't forget Wednesday night, should I'll be sharing on another spot, interviewing somebody or doing other thing. So just watch that as well. So don't forget to book online. This week, the last couple of weeks, it's a blessed for us to be booked up on Wednesdays already. So if you get a phone later.